Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, as we are getting deeper into our series that we just call Creed because we're going through um, the old Roman creed and just going through it line by line and revisiting these things that we as believers, we, we believe that we ascribe to. And this goes back a long, long, long ways back. In fact, the, the first um, place we see the old Roman creed actually dates back to year 125. And it's, a, it's a, around that space. The Old Roman Creed is actually a couple of centuries older than the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And, and it goes back to a space where people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry and the, and the people who were coming to, to Christ through the, the early church, um, that they embraced this. And then they began to write this down and say, this is what we believe. This is our creed because a creed is not just a list of statements of what we believe. Like, okay, this is some sort of checklist. No, a creed, if you've got a personal creed, this is something you live by. These are guiding principles. These are things that, uh, that help you to be able to, to make decisions and respond in certain situations. That's what a creed does in your life. So you and I, we need to have a good grasp of this. So if you'll You'll get your bulletin open, you get your, the Bible app, however it is you're going to track with us that we've led off with this idea that what we believe is the framework of our relationship with God. And what we need is to make sure that framework is solid and accurate and big enough to paint an accurate um, portrait of who our Heavenly Father is. There's this place where we can end up cropping it too small to where the image um, doesn't fit on the canvas, where all of a sudden we narrow things down too much. So this creed helps to frame it out, helps to open it up so that when we look at God, we talk about God, we're talking about God as who he is. And as we get into this, it's not just the what, you know, it can feel like the creed is just laying out a bunch of the what of what we believe, but there's a reason those what's are there and that it was laid out in year 125 that a bunch of believers said, yes, we all agree on these things. And that harkens back to something we talked about week one, and that's the why. The why is vital. The why motivates the what. And we have to understand the why. And that's why we are revisiting the, this idea of the creed. And honestly, it's funny, the, the launch weekend of this series, two weeks ago when we were kicking off the uh, creed series, um, I had a illust- perfect illustration, but it was still just a little too sensitive. Truth is, I still felt too dumb. And to be able to tell this story, I needed the dumbness to wear off and not me to feel a little less dumb when I told you. So, so two weeks later, I felt a little, a little less goofy. Um, But um, for those of y'all who are new, we have uh, seven kids, uh, ranging from 26 down to eight. And our 10-year-old, a few weeks ago, had been dealing with some respiratory issues and had been having some some problems, um, problems breathing, and it had 
got real serious. Her O2 levels got low and and so she has this little nebulizer to be able to do these breathing treatments. And Cutie was able to find this awesome little travel nebulizer. Uh, it looks like a vape is what it looks like. Her siblings pick on her and tell her she's vaping. And it's like people just walk up and say, what's the deal with this, uh, you know, this, this little pastor kid over in the corner <laughs> hitting, hitting the vape, you know. You know, she's sitting there on the edge of the couch looking like she's had a hard day and just... Yeah, figuring out some way to figure deal with it, and so, and uh, so she's she's just using her nebulizer, people, and so she had her nebulizer, and um, she would wake up in the night coughing, and she did this quite a few times, and she'd be coughing so hard she could not catch her breath, and it would just aggravate, and that coughing would aggravate all of that, and she was having a hard time catching her breath, and it'd scare her because she, I'd try to talk her down and like, okay, calm down. She just could not catch her breath. And so that's where the nebulizer came in. And she'd do the breathing treatment and that would be able to, to get things done. And we did this multiple times. And lots of times when that's happening, you can't catch your breath. It's scary. So she would say, I'm scared, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'm like, okay, just breathe in and we're gonna do this. We can give the breathing treatment. And this would inevitably, this happened in the middle of the night. In our household, um, the kids have always come to me in the middle of the night. I've taken night duty. Cutie is like our live-in doctor. She has her own, she knows what to give, all of the, the stuff. Here, take two of these and three of these and do this and hang upside down. And she knows how to fix it all. And so, but that is not, that's not me. But in the night, I take the night shift. Um, not because I'm brilliant, but because I can get up, do stuff and go right back to sleep. In fact, I don't think I ever actually wake up. I think I'm actually doing it asleep. And, and Cutie would ask me a lot of times, okay, what was the deal with that kid? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you got up and fixed something. I was like, I did? And I was like, I don't know, we better ask them. And so, and so I hope I did it right. And it because I could just function and just go right back to sleep like nothing happened. And when Cutie gets woke in the night, she's awake. It's just, that was just the way it was. So we would we would cover that, but I wasn't awesome at it, still not. So Colin comes downstairs and wakes me up and says, Daddy, I'm scared. And Cutie was on the ball and she had already had the breathing treatment done. Normally I'm like figuring it out, trying to rip open the package, do, do all the components, get it where it needs to go, making sure it's, it's puffing and all that stuff. And she, Cutie was on the ball, had it ready to rock. All was new right where it was, all that was ready to go. And so she comes in and says, Daddy, I'm scared. And I said, okay, sweetheart, do a breathing treatment. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. And I was like, do the breathing treatment. So she leaves our room and she does the breathing treatment. Um, and then the, the next morning, um, Cutie's like, uh, Colin said she was scared and all you told her was a breathing treatment. I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what she needed. Does she need a breathing treatment? And so I was like, okay. Well, then Colin comes to me a little bit later and she's like, daddy, when I came to you last night, I was scared and you told me to take a breathing treatment. And I was like, well, yeah, that's what works. She's like, but daddy, I was scared. I'm like, so that you're breathing. She's like, daddy, I was breathing fine. I was just scared. And I was like, oh my goodness. She said, so she went and sat on the couch and did a breathing treatment. Like, she's like, finished about half. She's like, 
and sits there and then just goes back to goes back. <laughs> just so such a sweet girl. She did it anyways. And so, and uh, and so, but the, here was the problem. Here was the problem is that there was this place where I just thought I knew the response that needed to be there. I just absolutely just chunked it out and I did not know the why. The why is absolutely vital, folks. The creed is not just something we as Christians just randomly throw out. We don't just mindlessly say this creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ as one and only Son, our Lord, born of a virgin, <coughs> born of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. We don't just mindlessly throw this out by rote. There is a why. There is a why, and it is honestly dangerous for us to begin to try to, to try to utilize this without understanding the why. Without understanding the why. In fact, there's an, an entire group of believers who are out there who grew up in a Christian household, who grew up in a Christian home, who grew up with everybody around them agreeing and, and aligning around these concepts, and all of a sudden, the world gets turned upside down pandemic and what on earth is going to happen. People don't, aren't able to work. People aren't able to buy stuff. All of a sudden, things, people begin to question things. And then sadly, a lot of the church response was just to throw platitudes at it instead of saying, hey, let's get down into the root of our faith. Let's get into why we believe this and why it matters, why it matters on the good days and why it matters on the tough days. And so, and that is why we are revisiting this. In fact, the why, the, the investigating is part of our DNA as believers. This is something we value. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody you care about promised to take you to lunch when this was over. Like, just come sit in church with me and I'll take you to lunch, you know? Maybe you followed somebody cute to church. You're like, all right, you know, this, this person values church. I'm going to sit next to them, you know? I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you've had some frustrations in life. Maybe you're genuinely genuinely concerned and genuinely curious but here's what I want whatever it is if you're this isn't a daily part of your life and you're just checking this out I'm here to tell you that is a great thing that is a beginning of faith and we, we all should be making sure we investigate and we check this out in fact in fact the gospel writer of Luke that was his motivation in writing the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke 1, 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. You realize Luke is not writing because there was a vacancy of things written about Jesus. He didn't, his, you know, his, uh, his um, editor didn't say, you know what, I think would sell really good a book on Jesus, you know? That Jesus guy that got, you know, crucified and people say he's still alive. There's kind of a vacancy in that market. Why don't you write one of them books? We'll sell them. That was not it. There's a bunch written. There's a bunch written. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account. He does not write because nobody else has written. He has done this because there was something alive on the inside of him. And he says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses so he goes to eyewitness accounts. That's why we, we hold to the gospel. That's why we look to these, because this is written by people who were there. It's like we get to interview them. 
people who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since I myself have carefully investigated everything. Luke is writing a gospel because he carefully investigated everything. We do not gather together with and rally around a faith that is not that is somehow weak and fragile and can't be investigated. We have been living this out and been in, in generation after generation, century after century, millennia after millennia, the truths we talk about in the creed have held up because they hold up to careful investigation. I encourage you to carefully investigate. If you are here holding off on jumping in with both feet because you're carefully investigating, guess what? You're in the same place as Luke when he first started gathering his information to write his gospel. The guy we're learning from right now was one time in your feet. He was in your shoes. He was right where you were at. And so we have to understand that this is careful and careful invest, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And that's why we are revisiting the creed so that you and I can know the certainty of the things that we've been, you've been taught. And guess what? The 35 minutes on a Sunday morning is not near enough to do a full deep dive on each of these. But what I hope happens is that you get inspired, you get ready to dig in and to do some research and to dig in and all this on your own. But as we look at these item by item, belief by belief, truth by truth of why these things are important, not just what we believe, but why we believe it, that it'll begin to build you up. Again, we were revisiting the old Roman creed, and I'm going to read it right quick. It predates by centuries the Nicene Creed or, or the Apostles' Creed, and it reads as this, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting. And these are core things that believers all throughout the ages, all over the globe right now, believe. And we need to understand why we believe them. And today we're going to look at the, at the statement of faith of who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. See, Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human. He's born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Okay. Mary was was on board with this. She agreed to this. The Holy Spirit didn't just show up, overshadow her, and all of a sudden she was pregnant. No, an angel came up, explained what was going to take place, and she agreed. She said yes to it, just like any loving relationship. When a new life will be brought about, that has to be a place of honoring one another. That has to be a place of considering one another, of mutual consent. 
that is the model and God lived it out with Mary. As the Holy Spirit was gonna come upon her, Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. She was fully on board and she said, I, I, I'm fully a part of this. And then miraculously, the Holy Spirit brought life into her womb by the Holy Spirit, the same type of life that when there was the form of, of a man created out of dust and God breathed into the nostrils and life came about, that same type of life is brought about a second time. And Paul writes to the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, says God's whole nature is living in Christ in human form. God's whole nature is living in Jesus in human form. Now, sometimes we can decide and have a hard time with this Jesus being 100% man and 100% God, fully man and fully God, okay? Because it's like, okay, how can you do that? Well, well, first off, we deal with it with water all the time, okay? You pull up your, your San Angelo weather app right now, and there's 45% humidity in our air right now. You don't see it, but there's water in the air all over the place right now, Okay? But then when it gets cold enough and gets crispy enough, then that water that is still H2O, hasn't added anything or taken away from it, exists in solid form, 100% water. It's just in its solid form. We get this we get this from nature, okay? So that something can exist in one form and then also exist in another form. So, so we see uh, God, Jesus being 100% man, 100% God in that fleshly form, okay? What our real pushback, our real pushback with this is the fact that we have a broken understanding of what true humanity looks like, real humanity. In fact, our broken sense of humanity tarnishes the way we look back at Genesis chapters one and two, where we see God creating humanity and creating uh, us in his likeness. We see Adam and Eve as humans, and we begin to project our brokenness back into them. We begin to see that we can't genuinely appreciate Adam and Eve being made in the likeness of God in human form. Our idea of humanity is so broken, in fact. It is so warped. That if you and I mess up, we're late to a meeting, we totally drop the ball on something, we're angry, we're whatever type of thing we're, we're, we're wanting to apologize for, a standard phrase for us is, well, I'm only human. Our view of humanity is so marred by brokenness that we have a hard time seeing that Jesus could be fully God and fully human and not marred by the brokenness. But he wasn't like really human. Yes, he was human. He was human. He was unbroken, untarnished the way it's supposed to be human, not corrupted by sin, human, going all the way back to original creation, human. In fact, the, the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam, why? Because the first Adam was made in the likeness of God, but was tempted 
responded in an unhealthy way and brought the brokenness you and I deal with on a daily, constant basis into our human existence. But Jesus was born fully human, was tempted, responded in the right way, and brought life to us so that we could step out of the brokenness and step back into the fullness of what God has for us. That is the process, and we have to embrace that he is fully 100% God and 100% man, and his manness did not mess up his godness. No, he was able to do it. Why? Because that was God's intention from the beginning. That was God's intention from the very beginning. In fact, let's look at, the, at this passage of Scripture, and let's look at a little more of it. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Okay? Paul is teaching, and he's leading them on. He's like, okay, what I'm about to talk about will be challenged by hollow and deceptive philosophy to the point it can, it can bring you into a place of captivity. It can actually limit you if you let this come in here. In this hollow and deceptive philosophy, it depends on human tradition. What is the biggest tradition of humanity? You go through any generation, any culture right now, any language being spoken, no matter how technologically advanced or how primitive the culture is, you will find broken humanity everywhere. You'll have people acting in their own self-interest. You'll be, have people taking advantage of others. You'll be having people being selfish and, and self-destructive and all of the things that are wrapped up in the concept of, well, I'm only human. We'll see that that is the biggest human tradition is our tradition of brokenness. And that informs everything, along with all of the other things that get passed down to us through the generations, which is human tradition. But that number one is brokenness. So we can have this, this our own human brokenness informing our mindset along with the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So we can begin to try to live in a spiritual way through our human brokenness and we can end up with a very skewed way of looking at God and looking at ourselves and looking at humanity. All of a sudden, we've been taken captive out of these human traditions and these things that are informed by the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What is the answer? to the human traditions? What is the answer to elemental spiritual forces? Jesus. Understanding, rightly understanding Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Why do we have to understand that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form? Why? So that we can understand we've been brought to fullness. If you don't understand that Jesus and his fullness, we can't begin to grasp our fullness. 
what he has done on our behalf, they are completely linked together. And that's why the enemy would want to attack and come at this thing of the divinity of Jesus, the humanness of Jesus, all of these different places. And we have to understand these at their core. Let's go on to John chapter 1, verse 16. John, as he's beginning his gospel, lays this out, that out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. You understand that before you even embrace the truth that God loves you and that he is for you and that he has, he has made you alive in Christ and you place your faith in that, there is a grace that is sustaining you until you get there. There's a grace there's a, big, there's a big religious word called provenient grace. That means grace that goes before, okay? But there's a grace on your life, the grace that if you are one of the people who are just kind of checking this out, God's grace is already on your life whether you've recognized it or not. God's grace has sustained you. God's grace is there. Presley, my youngest daughter, asked me yesterday, we're just messing around the house, and she comes up, she's like, Daddy, does everybody have a blessing? I was like, I'm not exactly sure what she was meaning, but I'm like, yeah, sweetheart. Everybody has a blessing. If they're alive, they've got breath in their lungs, that's a blessing. They're able to have one more opportunity to, to embrace the love of God, that's a blessing. You know, to whether or not you're saying, does everybody live on the same quality of life and level of life and socioeconomic factors? No, but to be able to have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit active in our lives, God wooing us and leading us to him, the love and grace and basic needs that we have, God is at work and there's grace there at work already. And so out of his fullness, we've received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father who made him known. Now, there are those who, with their, you know, rationale and reasonings and arguments, would begin to say, okay, you know, Jesus' followers kind of got, took this, overboard a little bit, okay? This isn't Jesus saying that he's God. This is John, who was obviously super enthusiastic about Jesus. John is the one saying that was who is himself God, okay? Well, let's jump down into John 10, 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. You're like, okay, well, wait a second. Okay, we're, we're carefully investigating here. We're thinking about this from different angles. You know, Jesus says, I'm the Father one. That's not really him saying, I'm God in the flesh, folks. It's not really him saying that. So uh, maybe it was just kind of a euphemistic thing of like, like, you know, me and the Father, we're, t we're tight. You know, we're like, we're like that. We're like, we're close. We're like, we're like the same. We're like, we're twinsies, you know, you know. And so it's not really saying we're actually the same. We're just like pretty, pretty close, pretty tight. And so, but actually Jesus' hearers, when he said, I and the Father are one, they knew exactly what he meant. Let's keep on reading in verse 31. It says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the next response is the people who did not embrace him 
as Messiah, immediately found something to kill him with. What kind of weapon? They immediately grabbed some sort of weapon to destroy him. That was their response. They immediately would just want to take his life. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these, for which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work. We're not stoning you for opening the eyes of the blind or feeding a multitude with just a little bit of bread or, or doing any of the amazing things you, you had done. We're but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, everybody listening knew. He's saying, I'm God in the flesh. I'm God in the flesh. And this is vital for us as we look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not hide behind his godness and go, well, you know, I'm God. I can't go and get in the middle of all that. I can't go and intervene in all that. I'm, I'm too holy for that. No, he didn't hide behind his godness. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. One of the core pieces for our understanding, and Paul is reminding the Philippian believers that our, our Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, made sure and he fully served us because he was willing to, to step out of just that Godhead disconnected from the trappings of humanity and was willing to step into humanity and deal with all that that meant of being human. See, Jesus' humanity is vital for us as well. Jesus' deity is real and his humanity is equally real because Jesus is able to help us in our struggles because he knows what being human is like. We periodically revisit this passage of Scripture because being able to live as a child of God, we have to understand this or else we will miss out on grace when we need it most. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, let's talk about Jesus, who had ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Again, that'd be like the creed, that were all the things we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Two things here. First off, if Jesus was tempted and didn't sin, then being tempted is not a sin. It's not a sin. So quit beating yourself up because you have some random thought enter your mind. Quit doing that. That's the trick of the enemy. That's the trick of the enemy. He'll, he'll tempt you to, you know, skim a little money off your boss. And then you're like, no, that's ridiculous. And you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I had that thought. I must be a thief. <laughs> no, you rejected it. That is one of the lies of the enemy that says if you, if you think about something, if you are tempted towards something that doesn't line up with what God says, well, you're automatically that. Nope. 
No. You're tempted. Now, if we begin to align ourselves with it, make room for it, revisit it, try to fill out how we could implement it and get away with it, well, now that's given birth to sin. That's beginning to be a process. But to simply have some random fiery dart of the enemy come into our minds, no, that is not a sin. So quit beating yourself up. Don't, don't let all of a sudden the, a temptation you rejected all of a sudden be something you feel guilty about. No, you said no. You walked in truth. You aligned yourself with what God chose. That is the whole point of knowing God better and trusting him more. You trusted him more. That's the win. Quit beating yourself up over that thing. The next piece is, is so that the temptation into sin, but the fact that Jesus has been tempted like you have. Jesus. So guess what? He knows how to handle it. He knows how to handle it. He knows how to deal with it. So you ought to then talk to him. You know, you have issues in your life that you've got, you know, when these things pop up, you've got people who you reach out to, okay? You have one issue and you reach out and you text this friend. You know, there's a different issue and you text a different friend. Well, why do you not text both people, both issues? You know, a little extra help, a little more people in your corner. Why do you not text them both? The reason is, is whatever your instinct is to reach out, you feel like that those people get it. They understand, they can bring something to the conversation, okay? You have a little problem with your car, you're gonna text your mechanic friend. Hey, my car's making a funny noise. You know, you text me, it's making a funny noise. I'm like, well, did you laugh? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Could've made my day, I don't know. And so I'm, I'm worthless. I'm like, did you put gas in it? And I, I've got jumper cables, that's as far as I can go. Everything else is, I'm like, I can watch a YouTube video with you and we can break it worse, let's do it. And so, and, um, but, you know, so people don't reach out to me when they, when they have car problems, but your mechanic friend, he gets texts all the time, all the time. Hey, what about this, what about that? Why, because immediately you go, this person understands what I'm dealing with and so I can reach out to them. You probably aren't reaching out to your mechanic friend when all of a sudden you have relational issues, okay? And all of a sudden, the person you love the most, there's tension. You're probably not reaching out to your mechanic friend for advice on that front, you know? You know maybe, maybe they're great at it. They, maybe, maybe they're a love guru on top of being able to fix everything. But, you know, more than likely, you're talking to somebody else who you feel like can connect with it. That is what Hebrews chapter four is saying, is we can go to Jesus in anything we're dealing with because he knows what you're dealing with. He's not there to beat you up. He's not saying, oh, how dare you? Oh, I can't believe it. This is no one in all of creation has ever dealt with us before. I'm embarrassed you're saying this to me. No, he's, he's not. He understands it. He gets it so that, so that. Where'd my notes go? There you go. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not after our time of need, where we're feeling guilty and we're ready to say I'm sorry, but in our time of need. 
when that fiery dart of the enemy comes in and you're almost about to do it, you've got that unhealthy thing pulled up on your computer, pray to him then. Talk to him then. All of a sudden, you're about to respond to that person's chat that you know you shouldn't be talking to. Talk to him then. All of a sudden, you're about to cut a corner at work that you know you shouldn't cut, and it's going to be able to, to, to make something dangerous on somebody else's behalf or swindle somebody a little bit. Talk to him then. Say, God, I'm just about to cheat this person. I'm just about to swindle them out of like a thousand bucks here, Lord. I need some help because I need a thousand bucks. But God, I know you provide all my needs. And the Holy Spirit begins to remind you who he is on your behalf, that that shortcut isn't your Lord, but he's your Lord and he's got you and he's gonna lead you and he's gonna remind, he's gonna carry you forward. That all of a sudden when you talk to him in your time of need, he can talk to you in your time of need. He can begin to respond and coach you and carry you in a new direction. If you only talk to him after the time of need, you're going to get the same thing. I love you. I forgive you. You're mine. But you're not going to access the power to live differently until you talk to him in your time of need. It's the truth. Romans 8, as we wrap up, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. That's why we can talk to him about it. It isn't like, oh my goodness, now I don't want you anymore. No, nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God. So our bottom line is this this morning. Jesus is fully man and fully God to make us fully his. That's the whole point. It's to make us fully his. That has been his heart from the very beginning to bring the restorative work for what went off the rails all those years ago to be able to make us new and fresh again, alive in Christ. And we have to understand it so that we can embrace it. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.